Withdraw. Talk. Trauma. Sex. Bad. Affirmations. Isolation. Fatigue. Harm. Overwhelm. Anxiety. Stress. Emotions. Support. Insomnia. Addiction. Issues. Suicide. Scared. Grief. Nervous. Concerns. Depression. Panic. Resources. Fear. Rational. Well-being. Access. Tension. Irrational. Process. Anxious. Abuse. Relax. Abandon. Agitation. Awareness. Relationships. Irritable. Negative. Access. Thoughts. Self. Good morning, good morning. I hope everyone has put on their favorite pot of tea and is ready to get to tea with Nichols Counselors. This is your counselor and Arvis coordinator, Eleanor Vicks. And your counselor and acting uh, internship coordinator, Kristen Dupree. And our two-month counselor, Ivana Poole, will be joining us in a little bit. For Women's History Month, we are conducting an unmasking series for our Get to Tea with Nichols Counselors podcast, which focuses on empowering women. Our featured guest speakers are addressing their career success, the impact of challenges, and the many roles they play as women. Today's featured guest for our unmasking series is a mother of two, a wife, assistant professor at Nichols State University in the Department of Teacher Education, a program director for secondary science education, as well as the director for the Center of Teaching Excellence. Please give us a warm welcome to Dr. Amy Hollander. Hi. How are you doing this morning, Dr. Amy? I'm great. I was telling you earlier that um, my spouse who's in the military, he travels a lot for work, but because of the pandemic has been home for a whole year. And so this wow. is going to be my first week taking care of two children under three and working full time. And I know lots of people do it. There are a million really wonderful single mothers out there, but holy moly, it's, uh, it's going to be an adjustment this week for everybody. Yeah. Lots of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots of challenges with two littles. Um, so kind of jumping into our first question. Um, can you give us a little bit of the tea about who you are in your everyday life as a woman, a mother, and all the different roles you fill? Um, so I, I kind of live by the motto that I can only do the best I can. And I learned that actually from a colleague of mine while I was in graduate school, I was freaking out about something and she was like, you can only do the best you can. So every day I just think all I can do is the best I can in every avenue. I, um, I identify myself as a mother first. I have two children under the age of three. Um, and I'm, uh, I guess you could say I'm an older mom. I had my children later in life. And then, and we don't have family nearby. So it's just me and my spouse as the primary caregivers. And then um, I'm also a fur baby mom. We collect animals every time we move. I'm a military, (laughs) I know, it's kind of funny. Like every time we move, we get another animal, which is kind of crazy. They find us. And then um, I also am a military spouse, which... um, comes with its own set of identities. And then I'm also an assistant professor and a science teacher. So that's kind of how I identify myself. Yeah. 
So it seems like you are very busy. Uh, you have so many hats that you're wearing throughout the yes. day. And I like the idea of being the mom first and then doing what you can do. I like the, the idea of that model. Whatever I can do today, then I'll pick it up tomorrow. Not uh, yeah, I mean, I'll too be- much and all that. I mean, I'll, I mean, let's keep it real. I have lists. I live by a daily planner. I live by my Google calendar. I have a family calendar at home. That's a giant whiteboard. I unfortunately Absolutely. do have to maintain uh, a semblance of what's going on in my family as, as well as um, at work. So my to-do lists do get quite overwhelming. Um, but I also... Com- and I don't know if this, you all could comment on this. I don't know if this is a healthy way of doing things, but I'm very much a compartmentalizer. So mm-hmm. I handle what I can at work while I'm at work. And then if you look at my email signature uh, from 4 to 7 p.m., I do not respond to more like 4 to 8 p.m. I do not respond to any emails mm-hmm. and I only focus on family because I cannot do both. And I think this pandemic really, truly showed me that when we went online last spring, I, I couldn't do it all. And it was very, very mm-hmm. overwhelming. I would be mm-hmm. checking my emails while trying to care for my children oh, and my gosh. spouse still had to work full time. And I was supposed to still work full time and we're supposed to take care of these kids. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was too much. And so I really did have to put my phone down and just focus at one task at a time, which can be really difficult because sometimes in anybody's career, there's fires to be put out, um, and, and I just, I have a lot of guilt if I'm not paying attention to my children mm-hmm. when, when they are present, we have a really, uh, strict electronics policy in my home, because what we noticed mm-hmm. was our children would be acting out if my spouse and I were both on computers or phones while trying to care for them. So mm-hmm. it's just better for everybody mm-hmm. if we put it away for at least a little while while the kids are up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Elnora and I are both working moms. We both have little ones and um, we can definitely relate to that struggle that came when the pandemic first hit and having to work from home with kids and yeah. the chaos that can come with that. And mm-hmm. absolutely, I think what I, I don't think it was compartmentalization so much as it was healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's, it's setting boundaries that this is work time and this is family time so that you can enjoy both of those without the guilt of, oh, I need to be doing this or I should be doing this and being able to really focus on each of those yeah, um, and but give I, them the time and space that they need. Exactly. But I will say this. I do feel guilty. I do, I do feel that I don't give enough <laughs> to my family. Do. I don't Always. give enough to my kids. I know I, I had a, um, I think it had to do with the one year anniversary of the pandemic. So a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. I just kind of lost it on my spouse and was like, I'm dropping the ball in every arena in work. I'm behind in grading and emails in parenting. I was being very short with my children. I felt like my spouse and I were not giving each other enough attention and our communication mm-hmm. was starting to break down. And I think, you know, that's normal. That's mm-hmm. cyclical in everybody's life. But I think subconsciously, mm-hmm the anniversary of that pandemic and reflecting on thinking back to staying up all hours of the night to record lectures in my closet. So you don't hear my children and trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the emotions and everything that you're trying to get done. I was like, man, we're still here. Like, yeah, I'm physically in the classroom, 
but I, I, a lot of this still weighs on us. And then also I think many women, I don't know how you all feel or your audience feels, but I think a lot of women feel like we have to carry the load. Oh my God, yes. Um, and in addition to carrying the personal load of keeping the family running, keeping the household running and keeping your profession running, um, you know, like I need to make tenure before we move. And so I put that additional stress on myself as well. And I don't really, I haven't processed yet what it would mean if I don't make tenure. So for students who are not familiar with this, Professors who are ranked assistant professors like myself, we have seven years to show that we are productive, both in our teaching, as well as in our research and our publication and getting grants. And if you don't show that productivity, you could um, lose your job and that you'd have to move on to another institution. Um, and I, this will be the longest I've ever been stationed in one place. Uh, I was not supposed to be here this long, which I could tell you all about that a little bit later. But um, mm -hmm. because of that, I feel like I have to make tenure because this will be the longest I'll ever be in one place. And then I can take that tenure somewhere else if I stay in academia. So I put on that undue amount of pressure as well, which rationally I know is irrational, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you still put it on yourself. So... Yeah, but I, I feel like everything that you said, most of us can really relate to that. I think a lot of us, um, you know, endured a lot from the pandemic and are still trying to just like adjust back to what we consider the norm, whatever that is. Right. Um, uh, and then with having kids and just having to play those many roles, it gets a, a bit difficult, um, you know, just trying to readjust. I, I know that I can really, really relate to that. I had my moments uh, where I need to seek out some extra help. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, and here's so, the other uh, thing. I mean, just, just the extra help, you know, you think about it is that like for us, I mean, I, I, um, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I love that you all called me. I was in therapy in graduate school and then I've been in and out, uh, at various points throughout my life because, you know, like big life changes happen and it's hard. And, yes. um, but even so, it's like during the pandemic, you're right. Like what will be our new normal and what are you okay with being your new normal? I'm trying to figure that out myself. And I'm kind of hoping this summer to take a step back and identify like what new boundaries I need to set for myself, both at work and at home. Absolutely. To, to keep on going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that's keep us pushing. Yep. So talking about your, your education, what inspired you to work in higher education and do you still feel the same way? That is a beautiful question. So uh, I'm going to give unsolicited advice to folks who are thinking about getting a graduate degree. When I was an undergrad, so I'm a first, my mother ended up getting a college degree. She has both her bachelor's and her master's degree. My father does not. I, I grew up in Virginia. And my parents, my mom was not a traditional college student. She mm -hmm. worked as a secretary and like piecemeal, went to school for a little while, then worked, went to school for a little while, worked. Um, so I'm the first one in my family to go to like a traditional four year university and have a quote unquote traditional experience. Mm -hmm. um, and when I went to college, I knew I liked science. I've loved science since I was in elementary school. I can tell you the exact moment when I realized I like wanted to be 
a microbiologist. It was Mrs. Miller's fifth grade class. And we got to look at pond water under the microscope. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I was like, oh my gosh, what are all these things swimming around? And what is this world you can't see with your own eyes? And so I totally nerded out on science, but I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I just kind of floated through college. It wasn't easy. I mean, I had to work hard for my grades, but I didn't ever think about the careers I could have had. So like I would meet people and they would tell me things like, oh, I'm going to be a pharmacist. And I'm like, you can be a pharmacist. Like it never dawned on me to be a pharmacist or it never <laughs> dawned on me to be different majors. My mom's a school teacher. My dad's an engineer by training. And um, I just, I had no idea. So I was getting ready to graduate. I was very savvy and always making sure I had a job. So I worked all through college. I worked at um, Baby Gap and I taught swimming lessons to make money. And then um, when I graduated, I had an internship lined up with a consulting firm and I had no idea what I was doing. I just needed to make money. And I was talking to one of my professors who I liked a lot and actually didn't do well in her class. I think I earned a C in her class. And she was like, you might want to consider going into higher education. Like you have a personality and you like science. And I was like, that's weird. I don't know. Maybe like, I never thought about becoming a college professor. And so I just applied for programs on a whim and got in um, and, and still did my internship, did not enjoy it. And so then went, went to grad school afterwards. My, my thing is, I wish I had taken more time to decide what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I'll be honest, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't, when we leave home, I have no idea what will be my next steps. Uh, but I do wish I had a more focused career trajectory before getting my PhD. So if you're thinking about getting a master's degree or PhD, really think about the career you want after that. Don't just get the master's degree as a placeholder. Absolutely. You're yeah. gonna more money. Don't go for the PhD because you don't know what you want to do when you grow up. No, <laughs> like go experience life and work and figure out what it is that you want to do, because that will help you so much more when you're ready to get a job. And, and I'll be honest, I love what I do. I love, love, love teaching. I really enjoy it here. Nickel State is such a special place. My students are incredible compared to other places I've worked. It's, it's been really wonderful, but I don't know if this is what I would be doing if I really had taken that time to experience life and think about what I wanted to be when I grow up, or if this was going to be my end all career, I would have gotten my PhD in something else completely. So I think my saving grace is that I love to learn and I'm always open to learning new things. So every time we move and I take on a new job, I just, I just hit it hard pedal to the metal because I only, I know I only have a couple of years there and I want to do really well, but I also just really enjoy learning new things. You talked a lot about the confusion that you had when entering your um, career journey, I guess you can say. So what other obstacles did you experience in college? Um, I went to a really big state school. So I graduated from Virginia Tech University, which is a giant school, I think LSU, it's huge, land grant university. 
I think finding my place for a while was tough. I didn't really find my people until probably my junior year. Like I had my friends from uh, my freshman year that I lived with. And funny enough, we have a reunion coming up this week on Zoom, which I'm excited about. So be careful, like be friends with your hallmates because you might be friends for life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I ended up joining Greek life, which was helpful. And I found people in my major who uh, became like my study buddies and then like through life have helped me have with like professional contacts and things like that. So that was really helpful. My parents have always been somewhat supportive. They weren't big fans of me earning a PhD because they were like, what is like, what type of career path is this going to land you? They've always been supportive in general, but I think they had other ideas for, for my career. They're very proud of me now. So I think for me, like finding solid friends who look out for you, support you, that has always been really helpful. Even in graduate school, I had a, I was really lucky that I moved to a city with people who were Virginia Tech alumni. I had some sorority sisters that lived in that area and I made some friends outside of graduate school. And that truly helps me balance myself from like a cutthroat medical college where like everyone is gunning for that A. It was really nice to have a strong support network of people outside of that, uh, that just liked me for who I was um, and wanted to see me succeed. So it seems like on campus, you had a lot of support with friends, um, people in your Greek organization, people in your major. So tell me a little bit about the support you received from your family. I mean, I received some financial support, which was really helpful. Um, I, my parents, we didn't have tops in Virginia, but they had like a, a savings plan. They called them 529 savings plan. So I didn't have to worry so much about tuition, which was really helpful. And then my parents, of course, wanted to see me do well. I'm an only child, so I'm really independent and, and always have been just because I just kind of marched to my own drum. Um, and then my grandmother was a huge influence on me. She, um, she actually looked to be 97. Like she was very supportive wow. of college. I know it's incredible. And, uh, and so she was, she was my pen pal. <laughs> she couldn't hear very well <laughs> on the phone. So we would write letters to each other, oh, wow. um, which is adorable. And, um, and she was always really supportive. She's, it was funny. I would like tell her about my social life. I wouldn't tell my mom about my social life, but I would tell her, which is funny. <laughs> Um, but grandmas, I think are really special or not even grandmas, but you know, like everyone has like, I call them raisins, like whoever's raising you, you know, doesn't have to be your mom or dad, but whoever raises you, how, uh, you always have that one person, that one raisin who, who is like, uh, just 100% supportive, you know, and it's just like, Oh, that sounds nice. You know? Well, you know, you've had such a rich experience, not only with your family, but your friends, and also you're a mentor now as a professor. So how do you measure success? You know what? That is such a tricky question because there are days when I feel like I'm on top of the world. And then there are days where it is imposter syndrome central. I mean, Hmm. I am currently in a role as a center for teaching excellence director. So for students who are not aware, 
this is a brand new center and we provide professional development to professors. And I love professional development. Does that make me an expert in providing professional development? You know, I'm learning as much as I can on the job and doing the very best I can. But there are days where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've learned more new skills this year as that director than I probably have in like the last three years. Like I had to develop a website, develop a program, develop an assessment for a program. Like no one taught me how to do this. I just had to figure it out and talk to people in my network and try to do the very best I can and get feedback from advisory boards and administrators and everyone ends up in that boat. It's very uncomfortable. Uh Um, So there are days where I'm like, Oh, look at that website that I built. And I pat myself on the back. And then I get a comment from someone that's like, you really could improve that website. And I'm like, Oh, what am I doing with my life? You know, and and you just go back and forth. So I think, I don't know how to measure my success, to be honest with you. I kind of, like I said, I compartmentalize. I look at myself in a couple different ways. Um, I'm not perfect at all. And I just, I just do the very best I can. I will say I do. I, I just got feedback from a student very recently, my very first biology student, Nichols State. So prior to going to teacher education, I was in the biology department. And they told me they got their dream residency from medical school. So they got to medical school, which is such a tremendous achievement, but then they got their dream residency and thanked me for their support. And those are the moments where I'm like, yes, this is why I do what I do. Like the fact that you are telling me that I helped you even in the tiniest bit get to this point just makes me like so proud of the work that I do. Well, speaking of like feedback and then getting advice from advisors, if you could provide advice to high school juniors, seniors, and their parents, what would it be? I think it would be explore every avenue you can. If you can intern, ask people what they do, what they like to do, what they don't like at work. You know, I think we have this idea that like, if you're going to be a biology major, you have to go into healthcare and there's so many other things you could do. I think in teacher education, if you want to be a teacher, you have to be an elementary, middle or high school teacher. There's so many other things you could do with an education degree. Um, Same with history, English, you know, also like really identifying if college is for you. Of course, I want to see everyone at Nickel State, but sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you have to look at life and your circumstances and decide when it's a good time to go. So, you know, and like, if you're going to get top some money using it wisely, I, you know, I think the biggest, the saddest thing I see is when a student is not in a good place to start school and is being pushed in that direction and they're blowing tops money that they could use later. I think that that really makes me sad because no one wants to see a student not succeed. Well, you spoke about the student who emailed you and told you, hey, thank you for what you did for me. Did you have any mentors throughout your journey? And if so, can you share some advice that they may have given to you? Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of having mentors. So I, um, I entered into mentoring relationships, probably in undergrad, 
with faculty that I really enjoyed and looked up to them for advice. Something that I think students should understand is that mentoring is a two-way street. So you cannot rely solely on your mentor to direct you. You need to be actively engaged in that relationship. If that means um, coming to them with very specific questions, you can't just go up to them and be like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. You can't just ask someone to be a mentor and not asking, giving them your expectations and finding out from them what their expectations are in that relationship. My PhD advisor was a phenomenal mentor. And now I'm entering into a new space where I'm developing new mentorship relationships. Um, Y'all, if you think making friends is hard and it's very hard as an adult, particularly when you don't, you're not from like a region like here where, um, you know, I'm an outsider, so it's already tough, but like mentor relationships are tough too. You really need to find someone who has the time and is open to mentoring you. And then additionally, you need to know what you want to get out of that mentoring relationship. So my, my longest mentor relationship was the person that I earned my PhD under, Dr. Cornelison, and I still keep in touch with her. I probably send her two or three emails a year, just letting her know where I am in life and asking her how she is. She used to be in Virginia. Now she's in Atlanta. If I'm ever in Atlanta, I try to see her or if we're at the same professional meetings. Um, but she, she could provide mentoring for me at that moment in my life. She now is more like a, a colleague and friend that I just like to hear about, like how her personal life, like how her kids are and, and how she's doing professionally. But you're, you will grow in and out of mentor relationships. So a mentor could provide you with help in undergrad, but once you get to graduate school, you might need different advice, different skill sets in a mentor. So right now I'm working on different types of mentoring relationships with other people. And I would also like to note that you don't have to be mentored by someone in your community or at your university. So some of the mentorship relationships I'm working on now are actually with people from all over the country, which is one of the beautiful things about social media is finding your support and your mentors in other places. So I've been really lucky uh, to use Facebook and Twitter to really find some wonderful humans in the world um, that we, we hold each other up and we provide advice to each other and work together on various projects. Well, you've talked about quite a few things here today. One about being a mom first, as well as your relationship with your parents, how uh, they motivate you and also your pen pal, your grandmother. So with that, what motivates you the most? Um, oh man, that's a tough question. If people, if, if like other people you interview can answer that right off the bat, I am very fascinated by them. <laughs> um, okay, so in parenting and family, what motivates me the most is just to be the most, the best parent I possibly can, not perfect, because that is impossible, ladies and gentlemen, mm -hmm. but uh, just to be the best parent I can, I really um, try, this is my biggest motivator in parenting is providing a safe space for my kids. I just really want them to feel comfortable in their own skin. I have a two and a three-year-old, so like, I don't even know what it's going to be like when they're teenagers, but right now I just want them to be <laughs> themselves. Y'all, like, I'm so scared of 
age 10 and up. And then um, <laughs> as a spouse, I just really want to be supportive. Relationships take work. So making sure I'm always putting that work in and not just checking out, checking the boxes, which can be really easy sometimes when the rest of your life is super uh, overwhelming. And then um, I'm in an unusual spot with work where I'm only in one place for four or five years. So I try to get as much accomplished in that four to five years before we move on. So it's just trying to be as productive as possible and getting those good letters of recommendation so that when I have to find a job in the next state or region, I can. I will say one thing, you all didn't ask me this, but I think it's a really important aspect to my life right now. And that's delegating. I'm a big delegator these days. If my spouse likes it or not, he cooks, <laughs> he takes care of the lawn. He does a lot around the house. Um, sometimes I have to remind him a lot of times, but I'm a big fan of delegating. So if you find that you're completely overwhelmed, see what tasks you can successfully delegate to somebody else and find a system that works for you. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing so much, um, over the course of this, this interview. And lastly, um, the, our question is, so, and this might be tricky given that you're a military spouse, as you said, but professionally, where do you see yourself in the next five years? <laughs> I have no idea. And you know, what's funny. I was just thinking that, like, I kind of look at it with some giddiness and excitement. Like, where will I be in five years? Like geographically, I'm really hoping I am near water I can swim in because the last two places we've been stationed, I have not been able to really like safely swim without freezing or being eaten by a critter. And then um, professionally, I really have no idea. I toy with staying in academia, and I toy with leaving it. So I think it's all going to be about uh, physically where we are and what opportunities are there. I right now am very blessed that the way this military tour is going, I have some flexibility and I can work a little bit harder in the sense I can, I can put work more on the forefront. Uh, the next tour we have, my spouse will travel a lot more and not be available as much. So I do have to take that in consideration. And that I will have to make some career sacrifices for the next tour. But I knew what I was getting into with military life and it just kind of ebbs and flows. So we'll do the best we can. And I just keep my eyes on the prize that eventually my spouse will retire from the military and I can kind of call the shots in my own career. So just kind of seeing where this ride called life takes you. Yeah, exactly. Listen, I, I have learned from a lot of therapy that you control what you can control and you just got to let go what you got to let go, right? Like I can control how I respond to others. I can't control how others will respond to me and I can only control what's on my to-do list. I can't control how my children are going to act or, you know, a pandemic or anything. So you just, you just got to look at it as like you control what you can and you just deal with whatever gets thrown at you and do yeah. the best you can. That's my motto. Just do the best you can. Well, I definitely want to thank you because one thing I really appreciate about interviewing you is seeing the human 
in you. Mm-hmm. I think that, okay. you know, a lot of us, we, we want to highlight our success, but thank you for being willing to highlight your areas of growth and, you know, letting us know mm-hmm. I'm still working towards something. I'm always working towards something. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that about you, you know, being able to be human. Thank you for sharing yeah. with us. Listen, you want to see human? Come to my house right now. It needs to be clean. Laundry to do. Come on over. It's very human <laughs> over there. <laughs> really normalizing the struggles that we go through as professionals, but also as people. You talked about, you know, your kids and the struggles we go through as parents, but also kind of the universal struggles that we all went through with this pandemic, especially in the beginning with those early adjustments. Oh, yes. And ladies, if you ever want to grab coffee and laugh about it, I have some hilarious stories and I'm sure you <laughs> we love coffee. And yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was so nice talking with you. And I look forward to meeting you all in person when we're all vaccinated and can safely hang out. Absolutely. I totally agree. We can go for some tea and or some coffee. So Amy, I want to thank you again for just being a guest speaker on our Unmasking series for our Get to Tease podcast. And of course, for uh, Women's History Month. Our goal for this podcast is to empower women. And I believe you you did just that. Just by being your true and authentic self, just as many of our other guest speakers. Thank you. And for our audience members, please don't forget to like, share, and follow our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nichols UCC. We will be conducting a drawing for those who like, share, and follow our social media platforms, as well as share our podcasts to win one of our awesome swag bags. Once you have completed the previous instructions, just comment done under any of our social media posts, and your name will be placed in a drawing to win our swag bag. Here's a little disclosure. These podcast series and the information provided is not meant to be used in the place of counseling. If you or anyone you may know are thinking about harming themselves, please use the information provided above the podcast link. Thanks for tuning in to hashtag Get the Tea with Nicholas Counselors. Please have a great day.